0: Hi, this is Mark Lynch, a project on Middle East political science. Welcome back to the POMAPS podcast, our series of conversations with scholars in the field. With me today is Justin Gangler of Qatar University. Uh, Justin, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much.
0: So uh, a few weeks ago, uh, you wrote a nice piece for the monkey cage uh, about uh, on the, uh, the five-year anniversary of the the uh, the uprising in Bahrain, and you know the, the things which have happened since. And uh, what can we just talk a little bit about your experience working in Bahrain uh, and studying Bahrain uh, over the last decade, and how you see the evolution of Bahraini politics?
1: Sure. So um, my history with Bahrain goes back to my PhD fieldwork um, when I was there between two thousand seven and two thousand nine to complete a political survey of. Of the Bahraini population as part of the Arab barometer, or what would, it would be later included in the Arab barometer. Um, and so, obviously, I was there before the uprising and could sort of um, sense many of the um, social dynamics and political dynamics that would later um, come to the fore and, and be much more uh, visible externally. Uh, but again, a lot of those things were going on at the time in terms of crackdowns on opposition leaders, certainly protests. And in fact, the survey that I was there to implement was delayed for six months, if I remember exactly, um, simply because many of the Shia-dominated villages were inaccessible for interviews. Um, and even after the fact, there was some uh, trepidation on the part of uh, the field interviewers themselves, who were Bahraini students recruited um, and trained by me, to go to these places because um, you know they, they, they thought it might um, be a very sensitive time or that people might not be friendly to do interviews and that sort of thing. That didn't turn out to be the case. And in fact, people were very happy to um, voice their opinion on various things that they probably had never been asked about before in terms of their attitudes towards the the state and sort of their sense of how things were going and and, and that sort of thing. So it it turned out to be a very good experience, but also one that um, when the uprising occurred several years later or two years later, um, it wasn't such a surprise that that Bahrain would follow the f- in the footsteps of other um, Arab countries in um, in having mass demonstrations.
0: And that and that survey became one of the foundations of your book on on mobilization and sectarianism in Bahrain.
1: Sure. So the project itself was uh, the dissertation project was uh, looking at or in the, the context of the uh, Ronte state framework and really trying to understand. Um, In the case of Bahrain, which is not a quintessential um, uh, Arab Gulf state, but nonetheless is still an oil exporting state and relies um, on on oil exports for 75% of its its, its revenue, so it's still in that category, Um, to what extent the dominant paradigm um, in the case of the Arab Gulf states really holds true in the case of Bahrain, or for which types of people that holds true, um, namely to what extent people's political attitudes and the extent to which they're supportive of or oppositional to the state and the sorts of activities they engage in in opposition or in support of the state are determined primarily by um, economic factors and um, their personal material um, or the, their expectations for personal material gain paid so for by well, well, Access to state resources, sure. jobs. Um, so to what extent those types of factors explain people's political attitudes, which would be in this in the vein of this sort of classic rentier state literature, or whether or not there's something more intangible um, in terms of uh, group identities and and uh, feelings of discrimination, political discrimination, and not simply socioeconomic deprivation per se, but but really feelings that um, that I, as a representative of of this group, am systematically underrepresented and 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 um, under-benefited um, simply for for my affiliation. So um, the survey really was meant to arbitrate between those two um, explanations for or, or to understand which of those two right. types of factors would be uh, more important in explaining the attitudes of ordinary citizens. And you found? That, unsurprisingly, um, by far the dominant factors are, um, first of all, group affiliation, so simply whether you're a member of um, Sunni or Shia community, and the extent to which you identify with that community. So, I mean, I sort of used a crude measure of of religiosity because we didn't want to ask people about their attitudes towards the other community directly because, again, it was sort of a sensitive time, and and even today that would be difficult to do. Um, But the extent to which someone um, identifies as a religious person uh, augments the effect of the group membership. So if you're a Sunni, um, you already have a a disproportionate... um, pro-government or pro-regime attitude compared to uh, the average Shi, but if you identify as a religious Sunni, that pro-government attitude is augmented. And and likely, uh, or similarly on the the case of um, Shia, if you identify as a religious Shi, the anti-government attitude is, is amplified. So in fact, religion um, uh, really serves to uh, bolster this this division between the two groups, or religious identification, or identification as a member of your sectarian community.
0: One of the things which I, I've always found interesting about your work is that you don't only look at the mobilization of identity on the Shia side, you also pay a lot of attention to the mobilization of, of the Sunni community, the pro-regime, and in some ways, yeah, the even more... The you know more more royal than the king, kind of uh, pressure groups that emerge out of this.
1: Yeah, so you're right that that's something that's less um, emphasized in the story about the Bahrain uprising and which is characterized largely as a sort of um, a Sunni ruling family versus a a Shia opposition. In fact, the ruling family itself. doesn't emphasize much its Sunni character as opposed to its tribal character, and, and the tribal element is much more um, important to um, how the the ruling family views itself and and um, the the basis of alliances with groups. Which, in most cases, um, the families and and groups that are aligned with the ruling family um, are go back to the very conquest of Bahrain back in in, in seventeen eighty. Um, in the 1780s, and so these are longstanding tribal relationships more so than than um, Sunni Islam based based relationships. But again, um, the the Sunni community is sort of this forgotten element in, in Bahraini society, and it speaks to this larger um, truth about Bahrain, which is that in the end, um, Sunnis and Shias are not so far apart um, politically, and it draws attention to the regime's strategy in making sure that those two communities don't um, act upon their shared um, grievances and shared political um, preferences and that cut across many similar um, issue areas. So, for example, corruption, um, the naturalization of non bahrainis for service in the police and military, which dilutes Bahraini nationality, first of all, and Bahraini identity. Um, the lack of public housing and um, increase in property prices, um, especially for the benefit of the ruling family and for, um, and for the, the ruling family's allies. I think in the most recent, um, I'm not sure if it's Forbes magazine or someone does, uh, the annual list of millionaires, and um, Bahrain is number three in the world, or last year was number three or number two in the world in millionaires per capita. Um, And it's not a very rich country relative to the other Arab Gulf states. So it shows you to the extent to which uh, the ruling family really dominates things there. So there are a lot of issues and probably the majority of issues where uh, Sunni and Shia share a sort of normative preference or uh, actual policy preference. um, But the government has been very successful and not just the Bahraini government, but neighboring governments, Saudi Arabia certainly, um, and to a lesser extent other governments in the region have been very successful at... um, uh, precluding or, or, or um, avoiding this cross-sectarian mobilization by scaring ordinary Sunnis essentially um, into thinking that any coordination with the opposition or any cooperation with the opposition um, would be tantamount to allowing a full Iranian takeover of, of the country and, and that even if um, they seem to be moderate and even if they seem to share many of, of your, i.e. Sunni, uh, policy preferences, really they're they're looking to dupe you and to use you into um, getting what they want, which is the overthrow of the state. And then as soon as that happens, um, you know, you're out of the picture and, and they'll take over a la 2003 Iraq. Um, this has been described, I think, aptly by um, Daniel Brumberg and others as uh, sort of classic protection racket politics, right, where the state is, uh, quote, unquote, protecting Sunnis and they're, they're very, very... Um, um, explicit about the fact that that's their role, is to protect this minority of society, which, if not for them, um, would essentially be relegated to the status of uh, Iraqi Sunnis today. Um, And so people have been very reluctant to to cross that line of of not joining necessarily the Shia opposition, but even sort of independently being another force in politics. So it's not simply that they won't cooperate actively with Shia, but they won't even um, mobilize as a third force in politics, um, the Sunni uh, population, that is. And they've always sort of seen their role in in the parliament, for example, as as stopping and forestalling any Shia um, uh, attempts at legislation and any Shia initiatives, rather than promoting their own independent policy platform.
0: So back in February of 2011, uh, the protest organizers and, and many of the activists, they tried really hard to present a non sectarian front and to emphasize Bahraini identity or Arab identity over uh, sectarian identity. Were you surprised that, uh, that they were unable to transcend the sectarian divide, that the regime's uh, sectarianizing strategy proved so successful?
1: Um, I can't say that I was surprised necessarily, because um, if there's one thing that the state has to do and that it understands that it has to do is that, is to stop um, any sort of cross-sectarian cooperation. This is aided in large part by the fact that um, Shia are altogether excluded from the police and military. And so any um, sort of military or or martial confrontation between protesters and police inevitably becomes a Sunni versus Shia affair, because there simply aren't uh, Shia in the police and military, and in many cases, they're not even um, Bahrainis. Also, um, those people who were advocating a non-sectarian platform for the uprising were explicitly targeted, both individuals, um, in some cases, hours after giving speeches um, at the Pearl Roundabout, which is headquarters of the uprising, um, calling for cross-sectarian cooperation. In the case of Ibrahim Sharif, who's just recently been um, re-sentenced to uh, second term in prison, and parties themselves that advocate uh, or that have memberships that cross that boundary. Um, And this is the case especially for the socialist-leaning WAD society, whose headquarters were literally burned to the ground, um, whereas the Shia opposition society's headquarters, not only the headquarters, but the party itself, is allowed to persist because, as in other Arab Gulf countries, um, Saudi Arabia, for example, Shia mobilization, per se, is not a problem for the state because it can um, very easily portray it as for what it is, which is um, Shia mobilization with some um, sympathetic um, um, support coming out of countries like Iraq, if only sort of in word, not uh, material um, support. And this is—it's very easy to scare the rest of society into to uh, various doomsday scenarios about what this entails. So um, it's a very difficult uh, trap to get out of from from. Uh, the Bahraini states, or sorry, from uh, Bahraini political actors' side, because um, they know what they have to do. In the sense that, if they really want change, that there needs to be this this cooperation between the sides. But um, the incentive, all the incentives, are for no cooperation, and the state has been very effective in, in making sure that that doesn't happen. Given the, um, the, the depth of the
0: sectarian repression and just the general you know, intensity of the crackdown on all aspects of, of political opposition over the last five years, um, is it possible for uh, Bahrain to go back to the way it was? Or is what we see in Bahrain now something which is a fundamentally new uh, political system?
1: Well, the way that it was wasn't so different from the way that it is now, in the sense that when I was in um, when I was there in, in 2007 through 2009, it was essentially um, the same social climate, if not maybe to the same extreme, but without the mass mobilization or without sort of the prompt from the rest of the, the Arab uprisings to to um, bring it to a level that really um, posed an existential threat to the state. I think um, at this point. Bahrain is not alone in the sense that um, any solution to the, the local or domestic conflict is going to be affected and likewise any barriers to a solution will be um, impacted greatly by the regional climate. I mean, these other conflicts that are um, continue to go on in places like Yemen and Syria and Iraq that um, uh, rightly or wrongly are, are framed in a sectarian language. And so it's not simply that um, you have this conflict, domestic political conflict in Bahrain, but you have actors who are invested in these uh, this larger sort of regional competition and who see um, and whose suspicion in the other side is not rooted solely in domestic politics, but in these other um, regional conflicts. And so, it's hard to see the situation in Bahrain, the sort of social uh, cohesion of in Bahrain, to go back to something um, even uh, approaching. Society prior to the uprising until these other conflicts are resolved, or at least um, until they're de sectarianized, which isn't likely to happen, I think.
0: All right. Well, thanks, uh, Justin. Uh, this has been the Maps podcast with Justin Gengler of Qatar University. Uh, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you very much.